0: Long History, The Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 22, Menaced in the Mississippi. Hello everyone, and if you've been following this particular series by Long History, welcome to episode 22 of The Southern United States in the 1500s. If this is your first time here, welcome also. The text here describes an expedition from the mid 1500s to explore large parts of the southern United States, from Florida to Arkansas, and most of the states in between. The expedition was headed by Hernando de Soto and began in April 1538. This narrative was written by a Portuguese man known as the Gentleman of Elvis and we're on to episode 22 of a 25-point series. We're approaching the end so if you want to start from the beginning feel free but these episodes are all designed to stand alone. Don't forget to subscribe however to be notified of the remaining episodes when they're released. This has been a long expedition. After more than five years and many months since the leader Hernando de Soto was replaced by Luis de Moscoso, the remaining expedition members just want to get home. After an attempt to cross Texas and head to New Spain by land, they decide to retread their steps and head back to the Mississippi. They spent the previous episode building some boats to be able to sail down the Mississippi into the Gulf, with the eventual aim of reaching the Spanish-speaking world. With the new governor, Moscoso, in charge, they set off on their journey down the river on the 2nd of July, 1543. So this is the Southern United States in the 1500s, part 22, Menaced in the Mississippi. Chapter 37. How the Christians, on their voyage, were attacked in the river by the Indians of Kigaltam, and what happened. The day before the Christians left Aminoya, it was determined to dismiss the men and women that were serving with the exception of some hundred slaves, more or less, put on board by the governor and by those he favoured. As there were many persons of condition, whom he could not refuse what he allowed to others, he made use of an artifice, saying that while they should be going down the river they might have the use of them, but on coming to the sea they would have to be left, because of the necessity for water, and there were but few casks, while he secretly told his friends to take the slaves, that they would carry them to New Spain. All those to whom he bore ill-will, the greater number, not suspecting his concealment from them, which after a while appeared, thought it inhuman for so short service, in return for so much as the natives had done, to take them away, to be left captives out of their territories, in the hands of other Indians, abandoning five hundred males and females, among whom were many boys and girls who understood and spoke Spanish. The most of them wept, which caused great compassion as they were all Christians of their own free will, and were now to remain lost. In seven brigantines went three hundred and twenty-two Spaniards from Aminoia. The vessels were of good build, except that the planks were thin on account of the shortness of the spikes, and they were not pitched, nor had they decks to shed the water that might enter them, but planks were placed instead, upon which the mariners might run to fasten the sails, and the people accommodate themselves above and below. The governor appointed his captains, giving to each of them his brigantine, taking their word and oath to obey him until they should come to the land of Christians. He chose for himself the brigantine he liked best. On the day of his departure, they passed by Guachoya, where the Indians in canoes were waiting for them in the river, having made a great arbour on the shore, to which they invited him but he made excuse and passed along. They accompanied him until arriving where an arm of the river extends to the right, near which they said was Kigaltam, and they importuned him to go and make war upon it, offering their assistance. As they told him there were three days' journey down the river to that province, suspecting they had arranged some perfidy, he dismissed them there. Then, submitting himself to where lay the full strength of the stream, went his voyage, driven on rapidly by the power of the current and aid of oars. On the first day they came to land in a clump of trees by the left bank, and at dog they retired to the vessels. The following day they came to a town, where they went on shore, but the occupants dared not tarry for them. A woman who was captured, being questioned, said the town was that of a chief named Huhasene, a subject of Kigaltam, who, with a great many people, was waiting for them. Mounted men went down the river, and finding some houses, in which was much maize, immediately the rest followed. They tarried there a day, in which they shelled and got ready as much maize as was needed. In this time many Indians came up the river in canoes, and on the opposite side in front, somewhat carelessly, put themselves in order of battle. The governor sent after them the crossbowmen he had with him in two canoes, and as many other persons as they could hold, when the Indians fled. But, seeing the Spaniards were unable to overtake them, returning, they took courage and, coming nearer, menaced them with loud yells. So soon as the Christians retired, they were followed by some in canoes and others on land along the river, and, getting before them, arrived at a town near the river's bluff, where they united as if to make a stand. Into each canoe, for every brigantine was towing one at the stern for its service, directly entered some men, who, causing the Indians to take flight, burned the town. Soon after, on the same day, they went on shore in a large open field, where the Indians dared not await their arrival. The next day a hundred canoes came together, having from sixty to seventy persons in them, those of the principal men having awnings and themselves wearing white and coloured plumes. For distinction, they came within two crossbow shots of the brigantines, and sent a message in a small canoe by three Indians, to the intent of learning the character of the vessel and the weapons that we use. Arriving at the brigantine of the governor, one of the messengers got in, and said that he had been sent by the cacique of Kigaltam, their lord, to commend him, and to make known that whatever the Indians of Guachoya had spoken of him was falsely said, they being his enemies, that the chief was his servant, and wished to be so considered." The governor told him that he believed all that he had stated to be true, to say so to him, and that he greatly esteemed him for his friendship. With this, the messengers went to where the others, in the canoes, were waiting for them, and thence they all came down yelling and approached the Spaniards with threats. The governor sent Juan de Guzman, captain of foot, in the canoes, with twenty-five men in armour, to drive them out of the way, so soon as they were seen coming... The Indians formed in two parts, remained quietly until they were come up with, when, closing, they took Juan de Guzman and those who came ahead with him in their midst, and, with great fury, closed hand to hand with them. Their canoes were larger than his, and many leaped into the water, some to support them, others to lay hold of the canoes of the Spaniards, to cause them to capsize, which was presently accomplished, the Christians falling into the water, and by the weight of their armour, going to the bottom. Or, when one by swimming or clinging to a canoe could sustain himself, they with paddles and clubs, striking him on the head, would send him below. When those in the brigantines who witnessed the defeat desired to render succour, the force of the stream would not allow them to return. One brigantine, which was that nighest to the canoes, saved four men, who were all of those that went after the Indians who escaped. Eleven lost their lives, among whom was Juan de Guzman, and a son of Don Carlos, named Juan de Vargas. The greater number of the others were also men of consideration and of courage. Those who escaped by swimming said that they saw the Indians get into the stern of one of their canoes with Juan de Guzman, but whether he was carried away dead or alive no one could state. Chapter 38 How the Christians were pursued by the Indians The natives, finding they had gained a victory, took so great encouragement that they proceeded to attack the brigantines, which they had not dared to before. They first came up with one in the rear guard, commanded by Calderon, and at the first volley of arrows, twenty-five men were wounded. There were only four on board in armour, who went to the side of the vessel for its defence. Those unprotected, finding how they were getting hurt, left the oars, placing themselves below under the cover, and the brigantine, beginning to swing about, was going where the current of water chanced to take her, when one of the men in armour, seeing this, without waiting for the captain's order, made one of the infantry take the oar and steer, while he stood before to cover him with his shield. The Indians afterwards came no nearer than bowshot, whence they could assail without being assaulted or receiving injury, there being in each brigantine only a single crossbow, much out of order so that the Christians had little else to do than to stand as objects to be shot at, watching for the shafts. The natives, having left this brigantine, went to another, against which they fought for half an hour, and one after another, in this way they ran through with them all. The Christians had mats with them to lie upon of two thicknesses, very close and strong, so that no arrow could pierce them, and these, when safety required, were hung up, and the Indians, finding that these could not be traversed, directed their shafts upwards, which, exhausted, fell on board, inflicting some wounds. Not satisfied with this, they strove to get at the men with the horses, but the brigantines were brought about the canoes in which they were, to give them protection, and in this position conducted them along. The Christians, finding themselves thus severely tried, and so worn out that they could bear up no longer, determined to continue their journey in the dark thinking that they should be left alone on getting through the region of Kigaltam. While they proceeded, and were least watchful, supposing themselves to be left, they would be roused with deafening yells nearby, and thus were they annoyed through the night and until noon, when they got into another country, to the people of which they were recommended for a like treatment, and received it. Those Indians having gone back to their country, these followed the Christians in fifty canoes, fighting them all one day and night. They sprang on board a brigantine of the rear guard by the canoe that floated at the stern, whence they took out an Indian woman and wounded from thence some men in the brigantines. The men with the horses in the canoes, becoming weary with rowing day and night, a tyrant got left behind when the Indians would directly set upon them, and those in the brigantines would wait until they should come up, so that in consequence of the slow way that was made because of the beasts, The governor determined to go on shore and slaughter them, so soon as any befitting ground for it was seen. A landing was made, the animals were butchered, and the meat cured and brought on board. Four or five horses having been let go alive, the Indians, after the Spaniards had embarked, went up to them, to whom, being unused, they were alarmed, running up and down, neighing in such a way that the Indians took fright, plunging into the water. And thence, entering their canoes, they went after the brigantines, shooting at the people without mercy, following them that evening and the night ensuing until ten o'clock the next day, when they returned upstream. From a small town near the bank, there came out seven canoes that pursued the Christians a short distance, shooting at them, but finding, as they were few, that little harm was done, they went back. From that time forth, the voyage until near the end was unattended by any misadventure. Christians in 17 days going down a distance of 250 leagues a little more or less by the river. When near the sea it becomes divided into two arms each of which may be a league and a half broad. Although the journey may be coming to an end the expedition's voyage down the Mississippi proved at least at first to be one of the more perilous parts of the whole journey. However the wily expedition members have managed to flee the threat from the local people and, in a brief sentence, takes 17 days to travel down the river to its mouth. In the next episode they finally reach the gulf and escape the American mainland. But there is still a vitally important decision to be made. That's the end of this episode, as you've made it this far please don't forget to like it before you move on. There are only three episodes to go so if you haven't subscribed already please do to be informed of when the remaining episodes are released. At this point I often mention text we've serialised about other journeys such as those by Francis Drake, Magellan and Columbus. So I thought I'd give a quick mention to some of the shorter series we have. There's an eight part series called The Journey to Colonize the Philippines, which is an interesting example of a journey across the Pacific in the 1500s. And there's also the series we released before this one called After Magellan, which was a ten part series about the first expedition after Magellan to try and repeat his journey across the Pacific. So that's just a reminder of the number of documents available on long history now. But above all, thank you for listening to this one. I hope you enjoyed it and goodbye.